0: It's hot outside, and now you can ride the heat wave of summer with hot sales at Waltons.com. Right now, they're holding their biggest summer sale ever, and it features your favorite Waltons branded grinders, mixers, and vacuum sealers. All non-stuffer equipment is running between 20 and 35% off, and the Waltons branded chamberless vacuum bags are up to 40% off. If you want to keep your food fresh with their chambered vac sealer right now, it's $275 off. Yeah, you heard that right. So get a jump on processing season now and save big time with Walton's summer sale. It's hot to order. Head over to waltons.com today. This episode of the Flush Podcast is brought to you by Walton's, Aluma Trailers, North Dakota Tourism, Federal Ammunition, Onyx Hunt, and by Nutrisource Pet Foods. Today, we're gonna dig into a variety of meaty subjects with John Tremblay from Walton's. John's everyday job is to work with meat and concoct recipes that he shares his results with for anybody that cares to tune in and hear about it. Hopefully, you'll be able to take a few of his meaty nuggets with you into the field this season or apply right now to empty your freezer. Welcome to another episode of the Flush Podcast. I'm Travis Frank. I'm your host, Brandon Morton, as always is our producer, Brandon. It's good to be in the studio with you again today.
1: Yes, yeah, nice to be a grace with your
0: presence. It's been a minute. It's been a minute, that's right. Uh, right off the top, we'll do a little housekeeping. I got an email this morning. Hey, Travis, I have two English setter pups that are available. This comes from Brian Wynn, who lives in Illinois. <clears throat> These pups are eight weeks old, both males. Stud dog is Rich Wissink's male coda. We filmed an episode with Rich Wissink uh, a few years ago. Excellent dogs. The female is my dog Lou, who is out of Dennis Latinsky's line of dogs, just wanting them to go to hunting homes. So there we go. Um, if you're interested in an English setter pup, check out Brian Lee Wynn on Facebook. That's his uh full name on Facebook. Brian Lee Wynn. By the time this episode drops, I don't know, they may be gone, but they may still be there. And <clears throat> if you're interested, check it out. That's a really nice public service to start to show I, off. I feel with. like yeah, that's yes, a great one. Yeah. I, I, I feel like I need to do more of that because I do get pretty regular like, hey, I've got to pup this or you know we yeah. got a litter coming or there's some available this is a community. It is. It's a. It's a great way to do it. It's kind of like the Saturday morning public radio, Collins. You <laughs> yes. know, where people do the classifieds over AM radio. Yes. We're going to bring it back old school. Oh my goodness. Um. Well, we're joined today by one of my friends, John Wal or John Tremblay from hey, hey, Walton. Hey,
1: hey,
0: hey. <laughs> <laughs> you might as well be a Walton too, yes. uh, John Tremblay from Waltons, and John. So I'm. Uh, I don't know how to. How to start this? Like I'm, I'm happy to have you on, but also I, you, you, you almost ruined my day yesterday, um, and you don't even know this yet. I'm dropping okay. this. I'm dropping this right now because I was so excited to see the Meat Drystics podcast that was titled <laughs> uh, "Snake It Till You Make It" because I knew, I knew why you recorded that one, and I was excited, but then. I was just let down when I when I heard you guys uh, sample Snake and your reaction to it was not what I was expecting because it's not what I lived through myself and uh, we need to compare notes. So for somebody that doesn't understand what I'm talking about right now, John, you host a Meat Gistics podcast, which is one of the branches that you work on through at your role or in your role at Waltons. Uh, and and the Meat Gistics podcast is a variety of topics in the meat processing world. Meat matters. You guys get into uh, just like I'm. I'm always laughing at where you find your content <laughs> and the the information <laughs> that you and Austin get into. But it's really well done. And there's a segment called "Does it Grill?" Is that what you will do? it barbecue? Will it barbecue? Yes, will it barbecue? Right. And you you finally tasted snake at my plea. <laughs> I don't know how long it took me to get you to, <laughs> to eat snake, but what you uh what you found out was that you really liked it.
1: Yeah, so we got uh Western Diamond back. Um, we went ahead and seasoned it with two different seasonings, a new seasoning from Walton's called Zesty Citrus Garlic Moho <clears throat> excuse me, Moho, and uh, another one that's the backcountry wild game seasoning. We then just threw it on our Camp Chef Smoker, Um, we had it at, I think, like a 250, just until the internal temperature was like 165. It probably got up closer to 170 because I was a little distracted at that time. But, uh, yeah, taste-wise, it was fine. It tasted a little bit like chicken. It was a little dry. Um, we think it was cause they weren't really big snakes. Like they all laughed at me. Um, cause we do both a Willet barbecue video and then we talk about it on the podcast. I guess I call, I said we needed a chunky boy or something. Like if we had a chunky boy for a snake, it probably would have been better. And Austin and Patrick just went off into gales of laughter. I didn't see anything that funny about that, but, uh, from a taste aspect, I would say it was good. Uh, What was your experience? Cause I'm assuming you wanted me to absolutely hate it.
0: Well, I absolutely hated it when I tried it because I, so I apologize to anyone from this particular pheasants forever chapter, but probably seven, eight, nine years ago. I don't know. Time flies. That's why I can't exactly remember when this was, but I went to a pheasants forever banquet in the twin cities metro here. And it was like a wild game dinner theme. And they had this giant snake. And I don't know if it was a Florida python or what kind of snake it was, but it was humongous. And it was awful. It was like, <laughs> do you, have you ever had, um, uh, oh, what's that? Uh, shoot, it's like gelatin in the uh, head cheese. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah yep. So yep. head cheese has kind of like this jello-y yep. texture to it. And this snake that I had, maybe it was just a a chunk of meat. It was a it was a chunky boy, as you refer to. <laughs> this was a big snake, and I don't know if I had a cut of it that was just not cooked all the way, but it had the texture of like head cheese. So it was like this slimy gelatin texture in my mouth, but it was. I couldn't like, I couldn't get it out of my mouth fast enough. So mm. perhaps it was just the, the wrong kind of snake, but I was expecting you to have some sort of a comment, but you're like, Oh no, Travis is going to hate this. It, it was really yeah, good.
1: That's, I, Cause I, I had the strong feeling that you wanted me to hate it. Um, yeah. I would hazard a guest or a guess that you did have a Python. Uh, I did some research before choosing uh West or diamondback. Um, Pythons do have a higher fat content and with wild game, fat is a, it's a hit or miss thing. I mean, you listen to our beaver tail one. We're uh, going to get into that next. Yes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it, if it wasn't cooked properly, uh, that fat can actually just basically congeal, uh, and leave a really, really bad, uh, I call it palate appeal uh-huh. cause I despise the term mouthfeel. It's just ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's probably what happened.
0: I I think so. Yeah. So next, you have to do a Python on your next willow barbecue. <laughs> yeah. So you mentioned it already, and this is why I kept texting you to to, to try the snake. But what was like when you explained the the beaver tail in your show? I was almost gagging in my vehicle while driving. But take us back to that terrible moment in your life.
1: Okay. Let me let me first explain why I had such high hopes for it going into it, why I even decided to try it. Yeah. Um, we went to the uh, Backcountry Hunters and Anglers uh, rendezvous up in Missoula, Montana. And I got a ticket for this like wild game dinner. And the best meatball I've ever had in my entire life was there and it was made from beaver tail. And I now realize obviously something else, like probably pork or beef or something. Um, but it was unbelievable. So I was all excited to try beaver tail, ordered some, got some sent in. They came like, I was expecting like beaver tail meat. No, we got like the beaver tails, (laughs) skin still on spine still in. I was like, okay, well this changes things a little bit. So I was doing a bunch of research on how best to cook them. And the one thing that everyone kept saying was the smell is God awful. If you do it the traditional way, which is you stick a a, a skewer down the middle and you hold it over really high heat, that skin will then bubble off. And that skin is like leather on that. Yeah, it is tough. So that'll then bubble off and you can just peel it off. But the smell is terrible. So I always think I'm smarter than everybody else. So I was like, well, I'm going to sous vide them first, loosen that, skin up, then just pull that meat right out. Well, that didn't work literally at all. Um, the first two, I tried basically filleting that tough leather skin off and it just wasn't working. So with the last one, I did fire up my side sear box, get that really, really hot and the, the skin pulled off easily. So then we went ahead and smoked them until they were 165 over low heat. We put delicious seasonings on them. But at that point, I kind of realized we were in for uh, a bad time. The texture didn't look good. The meat just looked kind of... What was the th- smell like? So the smell wasn't even that bad. It was vaguely unpleasant, but it certainly wasn't the type. Like I always worry about when I'm cooking in the kitchen, what am I going to cook in here that's going to smell bad and annoy other people? So that's why I really did not want to do that but the smell was just like oh that doesn't smell good that was it
0: hmm.
1: not bad at all so if anyone is listening and wants to try beaver tail 100% the way to do it is just burn off that skin over high heat it's way simpler and out of the 3 beaver tails none of them were good right none of them were good but that one had the best texture so the best the of the texture, worst the best of the worst yes so the the texture we kept kind of comparing it to what we imagine a snail or not a snail, a slug, because we've eaten snails before. A slug would feel like in your mouth. It began to melt. Like if you get a really good bratwurst and it's got a good fat content, you're Mm -hmm. chewing into it. That felt is just melting in your mouth. That's what lets you experience that taste longer is the fat melting and coating your mouth. This began to melt, but then stopped. And then you just kind of had a, Unappetizing hunk of very soft meat in your mouth that didn't feel like it should. Austin swallowed none of it; he spit out all three pieces. Um, I managed to to choke it down because I'm your more man. of a man than he yeah, is. For sure. Yes, I, but I mean, if anyone's ever listened to us, nobody questions that. Obviously. Oh, for
0: sure. Yes. It's, of course it's, it's so obvious right off the bat. Who's who's wears the pants in your relationship
1: over there? <laughs> Um, The interesting thing is we've got some other ones that I would say are probably going to go closer to Beaver Tail than Snake coming up. Uh, The big one is Eel. So I don't know how he's going to deal with that. Have you ever had Eel before? (laughs) No,
0: No, I can't say that I have. Brandon, have you? I have never had Eel before. Have you ever had a desire to try Eel? No. How about Snake? I've heard they still don't even know how Eels reproduce. That's how, like... Yeah, how foreign E.L.R. So no thanks. Where do you get all of these
1: foreign meaty objects that you grill up? Um, So there is a a website called Wild Forks, I believe. Um, That's where I I get all these things. And they're great to work with. Uh, I ordered some uh, lionfish. And day off, same day, he calls me. He's like, it's going to be a couple of weeks. I can switch it out with raccoon or... um, some sort of parrot fish. So I was like, oh, I definitely don't want the raccoon. Like I'm not eating that. So give me the come
0: fish. on. And you call yourself a man, you know,
1: you're going to try the raccoon. No, no. I don't care how it's harvested. Those things are lousy with parasites,
0: huh? not touching them. Hmm. And, it's yet like if,
1: yet, and yet you cooked up a beaver's tail. Yeah. Beaver. I don't associate <laughs> with a lot of, listen, the way things work in my head don't have to make sense to anyone else. And it's not like I have control over them, but that's the way it is. All right, beaver, okay. Raccoon, pushed to the side.
0: Worst, worst meat you've tasted. Was it the beaver or was there something else?
1: As far as meat goes, yeah, no, it was definitely the beaver. That was, as far as actually eating something, that was probably the worst thing I've ever had either on camera or off camera.
0: And you guys Um, record most of this so people can watch you as you're tasting these awful items.
1: We recorded that whole one. These segments, like when we release them on YouTube videos, are usually three minutes. That one was eight because we were just, I I was laughing hysterically Mm -hmm. as Austin's trying to, you know, get the courage to try another bite. (laughs) Um, Now we did a couple way back in the day that tasted worse, but they weren't meat. We did a beer with well, a barbecue where we smoked beer and then we smoked coffee. And those two things were vile beyond all really? explanation. Why, oh, did, so why bad. are
0: they so bad? you you think that it would <sighs> just add a smoky flavor
1: to it? We, this is also at the time where we were drinking a lot of beer sure. both on and off camera. Sure. So we were super excited about this, but the beer really kind of crushed our, our hearts. Um, what happened in the end is we probably just oversmoked it. We probably just did it for too long. If you want to, you know, do a quick five, maybe 10 minute smoke, we did like 35 to 40 minutes. So we probably just overdid it.
0: So if anybody wants to tune in to these antics that come out once a week, you can find John and Austin's podcast. It's called Gistics. One word, Gistics. You do a search in wherever you find your podcast, you're going to find theirs. And you can catch up with it. One of the other things that you have in basic, I think it's every show, but the meat matters segment. I don't know where you find these current events or is it you or is it your producer that finds them?
1: Uh, no, that is all Austin and I. Um, so we, we use a couple of different sources. One, obviously the what's going on in the meat industry is very important to us. So we just naturally keep up on it. Um, but we also do have, I mean, we have the whole website meet yep. There's a user on there, um, Tech77, who actually weekly goes through and creates a post similar to that for everybody. He includes all the links. We'll use that from time to time, but generally I've already sourced them uh, ahead of time, figured out what I want to say about them. And then Austin has his notes. I have my notes. And we don't look at them each other's beforehand. Cause we want it to be like a, you know, a, a first reaction to it. One oh of the- yeah, no. So meat matters is every episode, the will barbecue we try to do just once a month.
0: Gotcha. Uh, one topic that really stood out to me lately was your discussion about our beef supply and the prices escalating faster than our current rate of inflation. What do you mm-hmm. think we'll see in the near future and distant future that really concerns you in the, meat world or beef specifically.
1: Are you familiar with what's going on with the sell-off and the drought right now?
0: Um, Probably not enough to be educated on it. So can you educate me?
1: Sure. Just really high level. Um, There's a historic bad drought in Midwest and lower Midwest. So ranchers are selling off a significant portion uh, to slaughterhouses because they can't keep the animal alive. I mean, everybody saw the post, or I assume everyone saw the post in the video of the 2000 cattle that just died from heat wave in Kansas back in, I want to say it was early July. Um, so ranchers are trying to avoid that. So they're putting their cattle to market early. One that makes them obviously underweight Two, you would hope it drives down the price as there's all of a sudden an increase in supply. Um, But when we first heard about this, my thought was, it's not going to do that. They're not going to drop the price, and they haven't. Um, Price of beef continues to either stay stable or even increase. And for the short term, whatever, it's a a minor inconvenience. But if you look back on the last time we had something similar to this, beef prices went insane for the next three years. And that is what we're going to run into here. It does not. It's not a single season to replenish that, you know, cattle. It's going to take three or four years until they have previous uh, drought numbers in their herds. So get ready for really expensive beef prices. I would say for at least two, probably three years. Um, there are some interesting things happening in the industry. Uh, I believe the yeah, the end of this month. We have somebody coming on um, from Kensington Associates. They are the firm, and I don't know if you've heard of this or not, but they're opening a cattle processing facility in, I believe it's South Dakota, that plans on being able to do 8,000 head a day. That is uh, one of the big four numbers. So- What's the biggest? That has a, what's that? What's the biggest? Uh, JBS, probably. I mean, the big four are uh, JBS, Tyson. Oh God, I can't. And the other two are gone from my brain. But four companies control 85% of the beef in the United States. So everybody else is competing for that 15%. We now, hopefully, if this goes through, have a new company who's not associated with the big four entering at a massive, massive size. So it could interrupt the industry to a point where maybe we do finally see some beef prices start coming back down. But what will really happen is beef prices just continue to go up and idiots like me will continue paying them because I just refuse to not eat beef.
0: (laughs) Well, we've had you on for a few different Podcast over the last couple of years, specifically once COVID hit. I mean, there was just like this—the world obviously turned upside down—and you know, the meat processing industry really exploded. You guys work with a lot of uh, small butchers, small town butchers, medium town butchers—you know, all over America—and you saw this incredible demand spike. Um, what? Where does it stand today, and what are you guys seeing? as a trend moving forward.
1: Yep. So we said, uh, if out, so our ideal or target customer is the, you know, mom and pop processor, your local butcher shop, that's who we sell to mostly some of the somewhat larger guys, but none of the like huge guys. Um, we said if our customers can keep 10 to 15% of the business that they got at the beginning of COVID, they were going to be great. turns out they've kept, 20 plus percent of that. So our customers are doing great. Um, definitely a good thing to see more people trying to source their meat locally. Um, I, I always don't know how far to go with this. I'm not a, a, a big, go all uh, the way, buddy, go all the way. Uh, <laughs> oh, I'm sure Brett's going to love <laughs> hearing you say that. Um, I'm not a big factory farm guy. Um, I would hazard a guess that I have a lot more in common with somebody who's a vegetarian um, than I do with your average consumer. Um, I'm just not interested in being part of that industry. Uh, and we have somebody who, who works here, whose daughter was very concerned about that. And I asked, where do you get your meat from? She told me, I said, where do you, do you, you know, do you get McDonald's burgers? Do you buy this, that? And she's like, no. I'm like, she's already opted out. Like it's a, very specific type of person who's actually involved in the industry, like purchasing what that industry offers. And it's the person who doesn't care, who goes to Walmart and buys their beef or whatever, goes to the grocery store and just buys whatever. If you're going to your local mom and pop butcher shop, if you're going to a meat processor, the vast chance is that you are ethically sourcing that meat. There are some that do box beef where the big guys will slaughter it, break it down, and send it to uh, some of the local processors, but that's not as big as some people seem to think it is
0: Well, I've got a buddy who has a farm and we we get one of his cows every year, and that, oh, you know it's like i I don't know we just we figure out which cuts we want, and we're fortunate to have that option. But um, it definitely, the industry definitely changed a lot. Even the local butcher that takes that in, um, just how they were so backed up. I mean, they even, they stopped processing deer, uh, venison, because they just, the demand, and I want to say even for pork, they were out over a year. So um, has that changed? Have we gotten back to, a point where people can go in and say, I wanna get a, a quarter of beef and it's available? Or are they still out for a year
1: like they were? A lot of them are still gonna be out a year plus. Um, it's not as bad as it was at one point um, during the, the heart of the COVID pandemic when everybody was you know, being super careful. Uh, Stockpiling, those- um, toilet paper. <laughs> that time? Yep. yep, <laughs> yep. That was great. <laughs> Keep away from everybody, but get into a fight in the grocery store over <laughs> toilet paper. That's smart. Um, it, we were seeing two years uh, for the the really popular guys. Now, it has come back down, um, but it is still a long wait, way longer than what we're used to. And that also does play into uh, what I see coming in the next couple of years with uh, beef prices going up. There just isn't the the infrastructure to process those extra beef that people are trying to put to market. Now, through grants uh, and government subsidies, loans, uh, we are seeing a lot of money invested into our target customer. Uh, What I always like to say is the food supply chain during COVID was tested unbelievably hard and it passed. Yes, we absolutely saw the occasional, you know, we can't get this product, this product or this product, but I never went to a grocery store or butcher shop anywhere and couldn't find something that I wanted. Which when you think about what they were making those meat processing plants do is unbelievable. I mean, they went from working shoulder to shoulder till now you have to be six feet apart. Okay, well, how do we rotate everybody in? Well, now we have to work 24 hours. Well, what do you do with cleaning? usually the plant closes down overnight and everything is deep cleaned and sanitized like you cannot even believe. They had to just do so many different things on the fly. And while it passed, what it did kind of highlight was the need for more decentralization. Um, Decentralization of anything, in my mind, is generally a good idea. Um, And definitely with our food supply chain. What do they say? You're 12 meals away from like anarchy or something. If the if the you know general society can't misses twelve meals in a row, everything just breaks down. Yeah. So it's an important, very important part of uh, the economy, just our our general society. The flush so fast
0: it hardly seems real. So vivid the moment freezes in time before erupting in a blur of spurs and feathers. It's why we change the way upland loads are built with Prairie Storm. Exclusive flight control FlexWad technology and a mix of copper-plated lead
1: and flight stopper pellets combine to create dense, deadly shot strains through any choke. Longer shots, more power, fewer missed birds.
0: Only from Federal. I love my dog, and like you, I always want to make sure that she has what she needs to stay healthy year-round and perform at her best in the field. That's why I feed Daisy Nutrisource High-Performance Dog Food. Nutrisource Dog Food comes with their Good for Life system that includes four key ingredients that work together to support gut health, heart health, and the overall well-being of our dogs. I have complete confidence that my dog has all of the nutrition to excel in the field and make it through a rigorous hunting season. I've seen it firsthand, and she loves her food. Take it from me and my dog, Daisy. Nutrisource High Performance Dog Food can help your dog reach their full potential Find the food that's right for your dog at NutriSourcePetFoods.com. Well, we're going to get into upland birds and recipes and things in just a minute. But the last the last thing on this particular topic with the meat in America, you guys on your last show, John, you were talking about how you feel like there's going to come a point where some people just can't afford to buy meat.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, Do you stand uh, by that? I mean, when where, where does that come from? Where, what's your thinking there?
1: So uh, a lot of people have already switched from eating as much beef to chicken. And this morning, uh, Tyson is raising their chicken prices on average 20%. So chicken is about to be, uh, it will never be as expensive as beef. But some people are going to get priced out of chicken as well. At that point, where are you going for your proteins? You're going to have to start going to alternative sources. Um, with the, the chicken, we had a terrible outbreak of avian flu. And I mean, millions and millions and millions of birds were just culled this year, killed and disposed of. Nothing was used, they weren't used at all. Uh, So that drove the prices up for everything else. Um, Now increased demand because people can no longer afford beef, pork to a lesser extent. Pork is usually pretty cheap. Uh, But the price on chicken is only going to continue to go up. I have... A fully stocked freezer in my basement of chicken. My wife and I eat a lot of it, and I saw what was coming. It was just like I was on a podcast or a live stream one day, and I said, "I'm going to go to my local grocery store and buy every bit of fresh chicken they have." And I think people like thought I was like, "Oh, I'm going to go buy a bunch." I loaded that cart up with every package of chicken they had. People were looking at me like I was insane as I'm leaving. And I even talked to one person. They typically do. I wonder why that is. It's certainly not anything with me. It's the rest (laughs) of society. Um, but I I even told one person, I'm like, listen, I'm like, this is coming down the chain. I kind of laid it out for him. And you could see by the end of it, they're like, I think I need to get away from you. I'm like, all right, whatever.
0: You were the toilet paper guy. You're starting a new one with chicken.
1: But with, yes, with me, well, at least you need food. You don't, you want toilet paper, right? Right, right.
0: I always told my wife, even if it gets bad, I'm a hunter-gatherer, we're gonna yep. have
1: meat. <laughs> we will so, uh, have meat. <laughs> we have neighbors who I love dearly. They're great people. Um, and I they're not handy and they're not really outdoors people. So I often help them out with things. Uh
0: what a guy. And I what told him because he
1: asked me that the dad asked, he's like, Hey, uh, what's going on with, you know meat and food shortages. I'm like, you and I will be fine. I'm like, I've got plenty of ammunition and rifles. We have a ridiculous number of Canadian geese, all sorts of things to eat around here. I'm like, I will make sure you guys don't starve. So yeah.
0: Well, okay. Let's, we jumped right into this conversation. I don't even know. We're probably a half hour into it already, but go back real quickly. What's your role at Walton's? What's your title?
1: (laughs) So I am the media manager Uh, what that really comes down to is I do all of our, uh, podcasts, our YouTube videos and live streams, uh, and take care of website stuff. Uh, I have a significant amount of help on the the website now from a new employee, which has greatly helped, um, free up some of my time. We switched from waltonsinc.com to waltons.com and we switched who was hosting the website at the beginning of this year. Um, and I think I foolishly just kind of thought like, awesome. Don't have to deal with the website anymore. It can go back to making you know fun videos and whatever. Well, I mean, you switch over, but not everything's fixed right away. Uh, so it it it's been good. I get to keep stepping back and back and back a little bit more each month, free up some more of my time. but I would still say that the majority of my day is taken up for, with website activities. Well, I
0: think you guys have, correct me if I'm wrong, but somewhere right around 6,000 SKUs of items, right?
1: Yep. Yep. I like it. I kind uh, of it, tell people,
0: I, I tell people not you know on the air, but when I'm talking about what you guys do, I'm like, think of it as the Amazon, but just for food processing, meat processing, anything you could ever imagine is there. So my wife is like, she's, you know, there's an Amazon box that shows up pretty regularly. And now she's, she's scanning across the uh, Walton's pretty regularly. Yep. Yep. Looking for things. She's got into uh sourdough bread making the other day. Oh. And so I love that woman so much more every single day. And she's, she, you know, like I am such a, um, just like meat and potatoes kind of dad. You know, I've got so many things on my list of to do's that eating, is I like, I like cooking. Um, I like grilling more than anything. Uh, wild game is whenever we're having wild game, I really get into that, but she gets into these fun recipes. I'm like, we're putting Walton's, uh, ultimate steak and rub, uh, seasoning on it. And we're slapping that baby on the grill, which by the way, Jonathan, you know, this, That that's like as good as it gets right there.
1: It's the only thing I use on steak.
0: It's so good. All my friends know it is. this exact same thing. They're like, that's the only thing I'll use. It's so good. Um, but let's get into a little bit more of the recipes for upland birds, um, and birds in general, because you've sampled a lot. You talked about your role being media guy, but I think of you more as like every day you're concocting something different with meat and you've tried, oh gosh, I don't even know any guess how many different recipes you've tried since you've been there.
1: Oh, no. Um, like completely different recipes hundreds Yeah no idea. Um, anything, any new seasoning that comes in, I always make, you know, if it's a bratwurst, I make up bratwurst with snack sticks, I make up snack sticks just so that everybody can taste it. So if somebody calls in and is talking to our customer service department uh, or walks in and talks to our showroom manager, they actually know what the product tastes like. They're not just describing, you know, describing it based off the name. Um, but yeah, definitely hundreds, um, probably not thousands, but definitely hundreds. Okay.
0: Well, let's let's get into, I mean, we're heavy on the Upland Bird side here. Let's get into some recipes that you have sampled that you then recommend. Or maybe should we start with some that you've sampled that you
1: don't like? <laughs> um, we can stay away from the don't likes because here's what generally happens. And I, I, I will use this in both the ones I'm gonna talk about. Um, even if I don't like something, generally other people here do taste is so subjective. Uh, there's been two or three snack sticks and sausage. Well, there's been more than two or three of like the bratwurst and stuff where I taste. I'm like, I don't like that. And other people are like, you're crazy. That's amazing. Um, it all depends on what you like. I'm always going to reach for a sour ale before anything else. Tons of other people hate that beer. I despise IPAs. I think they taste disgusting. So it's just everybody has different tastes. You buds. just lost
0: half of our audience. They just <laughs> are they big IPA guys. I don't know. I'm just I'm uh, guessing sure they are. Everybody
1: there. is. Yeah. Everybody loves IPAs. It's trendy. Um, it is. It is. And that seems to be what all the microbrews want to make, which is yeah. That's neither here nor there. Sure. That's um, a different but podcast for a different time. Absolutely. But um, even when I love something, thinks it tastes amazing, has great you know appearance texture, all of that. There'll be a few people here will say something like either, you know, oh, that's too spicy, doesn't have enough spice or yada, yada, yada. There have been two things that I have brought around that were universally, and I do mean every single person loved. Um, One of them, I keep getting people in our warehouse being like, hey, I will pay you for a tray of those. And I'm uninterested in doing that. But every time I make that, obviously I give them some. What is it? What is it? (laughs) <laughs> the first one is pheasant Rangoon. So have you ever gone to a Chinese restaurant and you leave with a little crab Rangoon mm-hmm. It's the same thing we just use pheasant And the really nice thing is it's not even that hard to make. Um, it's limited ingredients. you do need a couple of like specialized things. Uh, just get some wonton wrappers which are available in almost any grocery store. I imagine you can find them in Walmart. Um, have some pheasant, cut it up into small chunks, season it. I like to use the uh, garlic pepper rub um, or garlic butter seasoning from Excalibur, but you can use whatever you want. Fry it up, make sure it's all fully cooked. Take it out of the pan, chop it up into really fine little like mince almost. If you have a, a like a food blender or food processor, perfect time to use it right there. Then get yourself some cream cheese, mix in that chicken, or sorry, that uh, pheasant, I'm assuming at least uh, you would be using pheasant with the cream cheese. Take a little dollop of it, put it in the center of one of those wontons. Get yourself a little 50-50 egg and water wash or just beat an egg and then add some water to it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Seal those closed. Take that, drop it in some oil, let it cook until it's nice, light and golden brown. We don't even have to worry about how cooked the pheasant is in the center because yeah. we've already cooked it in the pan And oh my God, are they so good. I like to cut up little, uh, either scallions or green onions, sprinkle those on them, and then put a little bit of the, uh, sweet chipotle lime pepper rub on top of it. Oh Oh my
0: gosh. I can just like hear you salivating over there. I get fat thinking about eating those. (laughs)
1: Like, so that is the problem with some of this stuff too, is I, I'm not someone who stops eating when they're satisfied. I stop eating when the food is gone. Yep.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, I'm a dad, so I have my plate and then two of my kids' plates for whatever's left. So, I'm yep. going to I I'm I'm 100% in agreement with you on this because I tried it last fall with my kids and <clears throat> we did a very similar recipe. We just called it cream cheese wontons. But what what would be the difference between rangoon and cream cheese wonton? Uh, does a uh, wonton usually have cream cheese in it? I think so. Brandon's nodding over there.
1: Yeah. That I'm aware of.
0: Yeah. So we did ours. So we did that almost exactly Jonathan, but we did it with sharp tail grouse. Oh, okay. (laughs) And yeah, we, we cooked them up and I want to say we did the chipotle lime Excalibur seasoning on the birds, uh, fried them up medium rare. You don't want to overcook birds of any, you know, any of the upland birds. In my opinion, they, they need to be cooked to a certain temperature, which by the way, what is that temperature?
1: One hundred and sixty-five.
0: Okay, so yep, they once they hit that, get them out right away. Don't overcook them. Uh, yep. But so then we we diced them up really really tiny, and the kids made their own, which was the fun part about it. Anytime I can get my kids involved with making the food, uh, just kind of like adds so much more joy to that sure. for them. And yeah, we cooked them outside on the deck. Phenomenal. So good. So good. Um, I. I want to say we use a sweet and sour sauce to dip them in at the end as well. And, um, but yeah, definitely highly, highly recommend that recipe. That's a fun one. If you still have, I would say any of these recipes now, I mean, there's some people that still have some birds left in their freezer as we're getting ready to hunt uh, in a couple of weeks or months, depending on where you're at. But, uh, that is one fun recipe to try. And you're right. Everybody loved it. My kids give it the, a double thumbs up. Um, how about pheasant on the run?
1: Yeah. Uh, so it's actually chicken on the run, but you can call it pheasant on the run. Okay. Works just as well with it. Uh, it's from Flavor Crisp uh, and it's there's kind of a long and funny story behind Walton's and that seasoning. Um, I had a bag of it for years. It even moved kitchens with me. And I finally just looked at it. I'm like, I'm never going to do anything with this. And I threw it out. The next day, Brett comes in with a case of it and goes, hey, I've been meaning to tell you for a long time, we need to do something with this. I was like, okay, that's obviously a sign. Uh, So what we did with this, we took chicken thighs, but we've also done uh, pheasant breast. Um, We even did some quail with it. Uh, You get, again, get an egg wash, get that nice and soaked in the egg throw it into, uh, we use something called a better bread or batter bowl, but you can just do it in a, you know, a bowl with the chicken on the run, pheasant on the run, whatever you want to call it, uh, mix, get it really nice and coated, throw that back in the egg wash, then throw it back in to your pheasant seasoning again. And then we deep fry it when we're doing breast But when you're doing thighs, you can air fry it and it'll still come out really nice and crispy. What's the difference there? Uh, Fat content. So uh, any type of uh, poultry breast is going to be low in fat content. The thighs generally have a higher fat content, so that'll allow them to crisp up. Now, you can also do the uh, pheasant breast in the air fryer. You're just going to want to spray them with a little bit of something like uh, duck fat right before. Have you ever used spray duck fat? No, I haven't. But oh, I'm- I'll send you some. Uh, there is a, we, we carry it. It's a smaller company. They're up in Lincoln, Nebraska. Uh, and this stuff is absolutely amazing for cooking. I like um, that you just rushed. ran out to the warehouse to get it. <laughs> well, I actually just walked to that cabinet. It's right here. Um, it's Cornhusker Kitchen Gourmet Duck Fat. And every once in a while when I want my dogs to eat, they will, you know, they're expecting some sort of ground meat in their dish or they're just like turn their nose up at it. So I'll just grab some of this and spray it on their food and they'll lick the bowl clean. <laughs> Speaking- yeah, my dogs are unbelievably spoiled, by the Speaking way.
0: Speaking of your dogs, did, did it one of them
1: really eat your fishing pole? So I've got two. I've got a rescue pit bull, a 180-pound African Mastiff.
0: Monster the dogs. Rescue,
1: he's a, he is a beast. And he's, as he's getting older, it's the opposite of what I expected. I I thought he'd get like kind of fatter and less muscle as he gets older. No, he's getting more and more muscular. Um, But the rescue has severe separation anxiety. Uh, I actually just got that halo collar for him so he can stay outside and he's much better now. But I came home one day and he had torn apart a bunch of boxes in my garage. I'm like, whatever, who cares, They're boxes. I go to clean it up later that day and I find a little piece of white like fiberglass. As soon as I saw that, I knew. <laughs> I look over and my fishing pole is in three distinct pieces. Now I fish, maybe not daily anymore, but you know, three or four or five times a week, I'm out on my pond fishing. So I couldn't help but feel like that one was like, uh, you left me alone too long. (laughs) Now you're going to pay for it. (laughs) So yeah, he's insane.
0: Well, pretty much everyone listening to this show has a dog and they probably have their own story. I almost immediately after bringing Daisy home, lost my favorite pair of hunting boots. Chewed right through (laughs) the front of that leather. It's amazing. The big holes she put into it. Brand new boots. They were just broken in. It was wonderful. Gosh, I was so mad. I'm like, what are you doing? And of course, you know, the look on their face, there's no, there's no like, I'm sorry or anything like that. It's what are we going to do now? Take me outside. Let's go for a run. All right. All right. Let's get back to food. Um, let's see, where do you want to go next? What other pheasant quail recipes kind of wet your whistle?
1: Since you just talked about losing a pair of boots, when we were at Pheasant Fest this year, uh, both you and Brett got to talking um, to uh, Jake Mm Lindemann from Chief Upland. Yeah. So we went ahead and we've been working with Jake. Uh, We have a custom vest being made for you. It's at our um, merchandiser right now, getting Waltons and your name uh, embroidered onto it. And then we're going to send it to you. I was hoping it would be done in time for this Aww. and that you could open it while you were there. But, uh, things went a little haywire here, a huge surprise oh my uh, and gosh. time, times got pushed back, but yeah, you should have that from us in hopefully the next week or so. So you'll be looking stylish for this upcoming hunting season.
0: I- I've, I don't know what to say. I feel like I need to give you. I'm giving you an air hug right now, buddy. He's literally doing it too. I by did the way, it, yes, yeah. I'm holding <laughs> my hands. Around. I don't deserve well, let me, that. Thank let you. me then
1: also say that once Brett, because this was Brett's idea, we'll give him full credit. The question then became, well, who else should get one? Should John get one? So John got one too. So, <laughs>
0: well, it was for nice for you.
1: It's also nice for me. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yes.
0: I take back everything I've ever said about you that wasn't positive. Austin, I, I maintain everything I've said to him. But you, fair point. Yes, you are still. You are now my number one.
1: There you go. See, oh. and I, it wasn't even my idea. Wow. Brett always likes to to complain that you know, this is his company in the end, everything here he owns. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Yet, for some reason, whenever I'm making sausage, he's never around when I'm handing out samples. So he doesn't get to try things very often. Well, that's because he's out hunting. It it, usually is. Yeah, it's his fault. That's on him. But then I'm also stealing credit for his ideas. So,
0: (laughs) Well, so when you come up with different recipes to try, where do they come from?
1: So, uh, we have the meat community. Yeah. Um, that's when you, uh, were talking earlier, I really liked how you said you were, you know, with the dog stuff, uh, a community. Cause that's what we concentrated on with meat Um, a lot of the ideas come from something somebody says on there. I've got a very strange, uh, brain. So it'll like th- hear something or I'll read something and I'll go, Oh, that's interesting. And I won't think of it at all until, you know, eight 30 at night, I'm laying down to go to bed and I go, Ooh, what about that? And it just pops into my brain and I have to do something with it in the next 24 hours, or I just won't be able to live with myself. So there's a lot of times I'll be sitting here, come in in the morning, start answering emails and they go, Hmm, nah, I'm going to go defrost some pork and do something, you know, that I was thinking about last night. So there you go. Most of them come from something like that.
0: Hunting season is just around the corner, and that means it's time to start planning. If you're looking for a great bird hunting destination this fall, then I strongly recommend that you consider one of my favorite places to hunt. That's North Dakota. North Dakota is a bird hunter's paradise. You can hunt both waterfowl and upland birds all in the same day. And North Dakota has approximately 700,000 acres of private land open to public walk-in hunting. This year, North Dakota has a population estimate of 3.4 million breeding ducks, which is 38% above the long-term average, and their prey pothole region is smack dab in the middle of the central flyway. Their spring water index also came way up, over 600% from last year's drought. Habitat on the landscape looks great, and I'm hearing reports of a strong hatch from their upland birds. With a little scouting, you just might find yourself in a field surrounded by wild, flushing pheasants, sharp-tailed grouse and Hungarian partridge. Start planning your fall hunt in North Dakota at legendarynd.com. If you're an outdoor lover on the go, then odds are good that you have toys and equipment that you want to haul. Aluma Trailers, well, they've got you covered. Their trailers are built by a hardworking team in Bancroft, Iowa. They have models for nearly any and every hauling need, from ATV and UTV trailers to utility, snowmobile, motorcycle, car trailers, and even fully enclosed trailers like mine. Trust me when I say that, Aluma trailers tow like a dream. Their trailers are constructed out of lightweight, strong, corrosion-resistant aluminum, and they are 100% maintenance-free. Plus, they come with an industry-best five-year warranty. Visit alumaklm.com to find a trailer that fits your needs. The OnX Hunt app is one of the most valuable hunting tools that I take into the field every day. I use it on every hunt. Seriously, every hunt. Their app tells me everything I need to know about the lands that I want to hunt and the lands that we can all legally hunt on. The app also shows your location on planet Earth and clearly lays out the land boundaries. It tells you information about the type of property you're on, like state land or federal lands or walk-in access properties. It's ideal for scouting before the hunt and during a hunt to help put together patterns. The app also has helpful features that show you the kind of crops that are in fields, which obviously is a big deal for us upland bird hunters, and there's a timber cut layer to help you find the right forest habitat for rough grouse. If you hunt in North Dakota, there's even a layer that lets you know if a property has been posted electronically. These are just a few of the many tools Onyx apps give you, and these maps can even be used in areas without cell coverage. From the palm of your hand, Onyx Maps always help you to know where you stand. Okay, so pheasant on the run, is that different than chicken fried pheasant as far as what you're putting on it? Can you give me a chicken fried pheasant recipe?
1: Yeah, I mean, chicken fried pheasant, chicken fried steak, chicken fried chicken, whatever, Mm -hmm. uh, all very similar. Um, Generally, what we like about the chicken on the run, using that more than anything else, is it's got... Something extra in however you use it, whether you use it as a batter, whether you use it as a a, a wash, an egg wash, um, there is something else in that seasoning that is just better than any other batter we've used. Uh, when we first brought it around, we got everything from that tastes exactly like KFC to that tastes exactly how my mom used to make, you know, chicken fried steak or chicken fried chicken. Um, so it is really it's. A lot of the stuff I do that I get compliments on, it's really just about the seasoning. So, I mean, I take them.
0: I'm like, well, yeah, yeah, that was, was all me. With, with chicken fried pheasant, I feel like an important step in the process is to tenderize that piece of meat. If you're gonna go with a breast, do you make sure to do that or do you just get right into it?
1: Nope, there are uh, two things that I'll use to tenderize. Uh, one is you can obviously use, there are a lot of marinades that contain uh, bromelain or papain. Uh, those are what is tenderizing. It called?
0: Uh, we lost you in the warehouse again for a second.
1: What is it called? Oh, sorry. Uh, bromelain or papain. Okay. Um, bromelain is the uh, chemical that's, it's not a chemical, it's natural, but uh, that is in pineapple. Um, and then papain is... Uh, what's in papayas. Both of those are are very often used to tenderize meat. Um, The other thing we have is this little jacquard tenderizer. And sorry, that's what I was grabbing when you lost me. Um, Do you remember the old Slap Chop? Do you remember the guy? He would show, like, Brandon's he not had this thing guess. that he would slap down on and it would chop up vegetables. Isn't it and the things Sham like Wow
0: Guy? The same guy. It's the Sham Wow Guy. Yeah, yeah. The same okay. guy. Okay. Same yes. guy. Yep.
1: Yeah. Yep. He knows. Uh, so it, it kind of looks like that. Uh, it's just, it's about five, six inches long and you just press down on it and like 30 something little stainless steel blades get pushed into your meat. So that does two things. One, it tenderizes it, and two, it allows any marinade or seasoning or sauce you're using to penetrate the pheasant, quail, um, chicken, whatever you're doing, quicker and better. So those are the two things I usually use for tenderization. Grew up using a mallet yep. all the time, um, but I really do think this Chakar tenderizer is far superior.
0: Just because it, it penetrates versus just flattens? Yep. Gotcha. Yep.
1: If you're just, you know, hitting the meat with the mallet is creating mechanical energy, which is going to tenderize the meat. It's not just that it flattens it out; it does also tenderize the meat. But I just, I just like this better.
0: The other day, I made pheasant wraps or roll ups, as we call them, and my little four year old daughter. She was on the counter. Wanting to help in every step. So I'm like, all right, now we just got to beat it. We just, I put it on this flat surface and, and she's just, just like a, beating it like a drum. Cause I did not have one of those fancy little things you've got there. I, I'm i still old school and use, you know, just a little mallet or something like that. But I don't know. I mean, just part of the process that's fun and the kids enjoy that kind of stuff. You, um, you turned me on to a recipe that I use this spring for turkeys when my when my son shot his turkey this year, you're like, you've got to try this pheasant jerky recipe and tell me what you think. Um, I did. I ended up doing three turkeys, three wild turkeys with it this year. My son, my nephew got one and then I got one and they loved it so much. And for us, the, the hunt is awesome. But then when the kids can be a part of making the food, I love that even more. So then they were a part of it too. But you're Your jerky recipe, we did it on a smoker. Your recipe called for um, the oven and then a dehydrator. And we just went straight to the smoker. Uh, That recipe is in your game board gourmet section. And I think it's, it's pheasant jerky is what it's called. Somebody wants to search for it. It's awesome. But one thing that I wanted to ask you about this, you can go with cure in jerky or without and I did not add any cure to it because what I've learned when I make jerky it doesn't last more than like two or three days. Sure. So I in my mind I'm like it's a wasted ingredient. I I don't need to put it in there. Am I wrong for thinking that?
1: When you're driving just up the street, do you still wear your seatbelt? Most of the time, John. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> Really, what's the Just reasoning be, behind that? So, when we're dehydrating, when we're cooking anything with meat, we are, especially if you're using your smoker, we're create. Well, I don't know if that's necessarily true. Just say whenever we're cooking it, we're creating a really good environment for all sorts of nasty little bacteria and microorganisms. That cure is going to help prevent the growth of those microorganisms through the cooking process. Now, with jerky. Yes, lots of people say that the water activity is going to get so low that nothing is going to be able to grow on it, which is great, except for all the things that were growing on it before. If you lower the water activity of the meat before it reaches 160 degrees, even if it gets up to 160 degrees, it will not kill those bacteria. It requires moisture and heat to be able to kill that bacteria. So you could have jerky that is so dry that it is 100% shelf stable. It could still have something living on it. Um, I live in constant, not not constant fear, that's too much. Uh, I'm very, very careful because I am fearful of giving somebody food poisoning uh, with food that I've I've created. Um, So we do hear that argument a lot. I don't need the cure because it's gonna be eaten so quickly, blah, blah, blah. My response is always what i said to you do you wear your seatbelt when you're driving short distances it's an extra level of protection uh, that there's really no reason not to use it's super cheap there's was don't see it as much anymore there seemed to be a big push against nitrites Um, nitrites are perfectly safe the only example of them ever being shown as a carcinogen is when they are overused and then charred to a crisp. I think they used to prove a carcinogen, they used bacon at something like two times the amount of allowed ingoing nitrites and then crisp the bacon up to a point where most people, well, some people would find it inedible. Um, and in that form, yes, something happens and the nitrites can form carcinogens. But when used at the allotted level, uh, then Cook it as hard as you want; it's never going to become a carcinogen. And most of us are going to stop so far early from that that it's you know I like my bacon to be a little bit floppy, but mostly straight if I'm holding it. Uh, and they're perfectly safe. Also, if you're trying to be careful about what you eat, and you think picking up the bacon that says no nitrite added or only nitrates that are found in uh, nature. It is the same thing. It is just a fancy way of charging you more.
0: Good to know. Now, is there a certain? Can I overuse the cure? I mean, oh yes, really. Yep. So yeah, it, that's it, wrong. There,
1: there is an ingoing parts per million um, for hams, bacon's for everything uh, that's allowed. For our sure cure, which is what the vast majority of cure you're going to get from uh, anybody who's selling it. It is 6.25% sodium nitrite. The rest of it is salt to as act as like a bulking agent because if we didn't have that, if we just had that 6.25%, we'd be dealing with really, really small amounts and would make it impossible to break up for smaller batches. Um, and then red food dye just to make it clear that this isn't salt. This is something else. Gotcha,
0: gotcha. Let's, let's move to, um, how about... Pheasant tacos or maybe pheasant stuffed peppers or both?
1: Uh, Both of those were phenomenal. The pheasant stuffed peppers came from something my wife had been doing a lot. Um, She'd been making, with fake meat, I think it's like Morningstar or something. She'd been making uh, stuffed peppers with rice and that for a long time. Uh, I like it. So I was like, hey, this can only be better with a better protein source. Yep. So I made it up with pheasant. Um, that was excellent. The pheasant tacos were incredible, but one thing that pheasant just doesn't get used enough for in my mind, at least, uh, are some form of sausage, whether that's snack stick, whether that's bratwurst, uh, we've done them both. I often say that some of the best snack sticks I ever made were our, we used our Willie's snack stick seasoning. We used, um, 25% 25% pork fat, 75% lean venison, and we just made snack sticks out of them. And they were incredible. Unbelievably good. We tried um, to make that for this past year's Pheasant Fest, but uh, turns out sourcing 250 pounds of pheasant, <laughs> that was a little hard to do, as much easier just to do chicken. Well,
0: I think that's uh, probably why you don't have as many people going the pheasant route. Because, you know, on average, how many birds are most people going to bring home? And then that meat is so small in comparison to, say, somebody that brings home a deer and they've got all this extra sausage meat.
1: So, um, But how many people do you know who have an entire layer at the bottom of their freezer, a pheasant, that they don't do anything with?
0: Right. I know. That's, I mean, you hear people all the time, hunting season's here, I got to clean out the freezer it's like, why are you, I mean, we, we eat wild game at our house regularly and we're, yep. our freezer is almost empty. And I, you know, I shot two deer last year um, and we make a lot of sausage. We, we've, you know, all the birds that we shot as well, we were pretty lean right now. We're almost <laughs> out of everything, which is exactly the way I wanted. I, I could eat it more often but I want to space it you know I want to I want to enjoy it for the whole season so I kind of like I had we had rough grouse on Sunday night just a couple nights ago and oh gosh I love rough grouse it's by far my favorite um of the upland birds that I hunt but I'm I'm getting thin on it and now back to your you know the bottom of your freezer thing do you could you mix and I think the answer to this is yes because it's sausage but let's say you've got geese you've got some duck you got some pheasant. You can mix it all together, can't you?
1: Absolutely. Yep. yep. 100% you can. In, in fact, I, I'd argue that aside from pork, probably the best protein to use for sausage is geese. Everything I've ever made with goose is just top notch. Like every one of them stands out in my mind like, wow, that was really good.
0: Hmm. Well, and you
1: mix with pork, right? Pork fat. Yep. Yes. Yep. So not even just pork, but just the fat. Get good pork fat from your butcher. It's usually it's probably like a dollar twenty five a pound right now. So I it's don't not know, man. It's gone
0: up lately. I feel like I feel like the
1: amount for
0: pork has really
1: gone up with everything. Pork has gone up, but pork fat two years ago was seventy nine cents a pound. Yeah. So I mean, I haven't bought pork fat in a while, so because I tend to stock up on everything. Yeah.
0: Um, What did you use for your pheasant tacos? What was the
1: seasoning of choice there that you recommend? Uh, What we used back then, I'm not 100% sure, but we do have uh, what I would use now is Excalibur's Fajita marinade. I've done that with pheasant quail. Have I done that with quail? I can't remember if I've done that with quail. I will hold off on saying that. I've done that with pheasant and lots of chicken, and it is awesome. Really, really good for tacos, burritos, wraps. Um, I eat a ridiculous amount of chicken and pheasant wraps. And we just got a new seasoning in. This is something that Austin and I had Excalibur make specifically for us. It's a zesty citrus garlic mojo. And this stuff is unbelievable on chicken, fish, and pork. I haven't used it on beef yet because... I refuse to use anything else other than ultimate steak and roast rub on my beef of any kind, um, but absolutely phenomenal on any type of wrap you're using.
0: Interesting. I think, you know, when you look at the selection of different seasonings that you can put on it, on whatever you're cooking or grilling, um, it's hard to sometimes wonder, well, I mean, I try some things, but then unless I write it down, I forget, I forget what I liked, you know, or I'll do, I'm going to do two of these and you know, we're going to taste test, but then all of a sudden I'm flipping them. And then, you know, I don't remember which one is, which when it's all said and done. What's your recommendation when somebody's going to take poultry or birds, you know, whether it be a pheasant, a chicken, a grouse, whatever it might be, is there a certain
1: maybe flavor that you kind of skew towards? chicken lends itself to almost any flavor profile. I I generally don't enjoy enjoy really sweet seasonings with chicken. Um, Plenty of people do, though. That's why barbecue chicken is such a big thing. Uh, Generally, I would steer away from the sweetness for chicken pheasant, uh, anything like that. But if you don't want to memorize a bunch of recipes... A few good principles to remember when we're dealing with uh, poultry are one, 165, don't cook it beyond that. Um, the number one reason why, well, a big reason why chicken is injected with water, you know, the chicken you buy in store is pumped with water. That's actually because they did studies and found that Americans overcooked their chicken to a point where if they didn't inject water, everyone would hate it because people are just throwing their chicken on the grill and going yeah that's done. Well no that's 15 degrees overcooked. You should have stopped it, you know, 15 degrees ago. So 165 is definitely an important one to remember. Use a marinade that has phosphates in it. So phosphates increase the pH of the meat, which actually improves the water binding capacity of the meat. So it's going to hold on to water better if it has a higher pH. So if you can remember those two things, you can cook perfectly tender and juicy chicken every time. and that's all you have to keep in mind is phosphates and one hundred and sixty five.
0: And when you say chicken, it applies to grouse and pheasants as well.
1: It well. does, it does. However, there is a slight difference there. When we're getting it from the store, it's already been injected with water. When we're harvesting that ourselves, we're not injecting with water. So it's even more important that we hit that 165 dead on.
0: Would you recommend injecting then pheasant breasts? Or I
1: love injecting pheasant. Yep.
0: What, yep. Do, you, what do you
1: use? What's your season of choice or <laughs> marinade of choice? So for marinades, uh, I've got one that I love that most people wouldn't think of with poultry, but I still think it works incredibly well. And that's uh Paws black bull. It's generally meant for steak, but it works really, really well on poultry. Um, the soluble cajun is great for pheasant. Uh, so is the the garlic herb. Those three are are excellent. Now those are all injection or injecting ones. There's plenty of other marinade seasonings that you can use that'll work. Really, really well with uh, pheasant.
0: Gotcha. Uh, I think we'll probably end it right here. There's a quite a few more recipes like whole Cajun pheasant, stuffed quail, pulled pheasant sandwiches, spatchcock quail. Um, you know, these recipes all exist
1: on your website, right? Yep. Yep. You can go to meatgistics.com or go to waltons.com and there's plenty of links on its way over to meatgistics. Now, I know. You had Brett on somewhat recently, right?
0: I think it was during I think it
1: was during hunting season actually. But yeah, okay.
0: It's been time's flying, man. I don't know if I'm just yeah, I think you know, every year it seems like it goes just a little faster.
1: But yeah, yeah, we're we're
0: dude, it we're hunting in a couple
1: weeks. I know. I know. So anyone who's looking to get a jump on the hunting and processing season. We are doing an enormous sale at Waltons.com right now. Just go to Waltons.com. We have a summer sale banner at the top. We've got like $250 off our chambered vacuum machine, hundreds of dollars off some grinders, mixers, all sorts of things. You will not see these prices probably, and I would say at best, maybe our Christmas sale. But even then, I don't know that there'll be as steep a discount. There
0: you go. Check it out. Oh, I was going to ask you, what's Broadfest?
1: Oh, uh, so every year we try to do something to help the Wichita Air Capital Flyers. Uh, They're a special Olympics team. Um, Last year we did a cook-off, like a steak cook-off event. This year we're doing a Broadfest. So it's going to be our yearly gathering Uh, We sell tickets for it. We're going to have samples of almost all of our bratwurst seasonings. Somebody donated a dunk tank so people could come dunk Austin, myself, anyone else that they that they <laughs> nice. want to. Um, there was actually a meatjistics guy who walked into the retail store and was like, hey, I heard you guys are doing BratFest. It's like, I've got a dunk tank. I'll let you have it as long as John and Austin get in it. So like, all right. Um, but yeah, that's going to be a great time. And 100% of the proceeds all go to the Wichita Air Capital Flyers. Ah, you guys do good stuff.
0: Not only are you keeping keeping everybody fed, uh, but really the Walton family, um, you know, like I, I just love when I'm purchasing from somebody that I know is just a great human and they do so much to help
1: other people too. So, um, did I'm, you hear I'm how excited thinking about you,
0: John, I'm not talking about oh, you, I
1: gonna, but I was going to say, did you hear how excited I got when you said John Walton, like <laughs> that's, that speaks to how I feel about this family that I work for. They're amazing, so, aren't they? They're, they're salt of the earth people. Yep.
0: Yep. It's great to support them. We obviously value your partnership so much here and it helps us to keep doing what we're doing. And, you know, our mission is to keep the, the next generation of hunters out in the field, inspire people, educate them, you know, and without families like Brett's, we wouldn't be able to do that. So obviously- Thank you. And you know, Mark, Lukey and I were talking, you know, it's it's fun that we get to work with people like you specifically and call you a friend. And we just really value that and appreciate that. I sincerely enjoy the Meet Gistics podcast that you guys produce. I love where you dig into the content and the things that you try. It's worth people's time to listen to. It's just interesting. I mean, there's a lot that you guys dig into. You have fun. You make fun of each other. And I think most people can relate to that pretty well. So you guys do an awesome job. Please keep it up. Good luck at Broadfest this year. Again, head to Waltons.com and uh, get in on the summer sale because you're going to use that stuff when you have success out in the field. And we sure hope that you have success. All the recipes that we touched on are on that site as well. Just search game bird gourmet and you're going to get into a list of, uh, upland bird recipes that you can try empty the freezer because a new season is coming. Any closing thoughts, John Walton?
1: Ah, there you go. Uh, <laughs> no, not really just everybody. If you have any new hunters in your life, cause the last two years, there's been a lot of people entering in, mm-hmm. uh, Remember, the more we, people we have doing this, the more access we're going to have, the more success everyone's going to have, the more money goes to conservation. So try to make sure that specifically the new hunters in your life have a good experience. Don't be somebody who is looking at it like, ah, uh, that's competition. No, look at it from uh, a standpoint of it's going to help all of us in the long run.
0: Absolutely. And the, lastly, it, keep keep them engaged after the hunt, by cooking with them, preparing the harvest with them, and doing it in a way, maybe it's a a recipe you've tried and you love, let them be a part of that, and then when they taste it, the full circle of the hunt, coming back around, and get to enjoy it, it just, it, I'm just saying, like, it's all part of it, it's just as important as pulling the trigger, and when they enjoy it, they're going to want to go back out there and do it again, so. Uh, We'll leave it at that. Brandon, appreciate your hard work today over there, slaving away. I didn't hear any button bar sounds. Disappointed there. I mean, I had nothing. You had had nothing. nothing. Just such good content. Why fill it with extra? John is, yeah, yeah, he just does it himself. So our new new episodes of the Flush television show are airing right now. Um, They will continue to air through the end of this fall through December. And then people keep asking, when are you streaming them? When are you streaming them? Just a reminder, they have to run their entire course on the outdoor channel before we stream them, but they will be available to stream on our YouTube channel. So if you subscribe to that, you will get notifications when we start posting those videos. Again, as always, I've got quite a few actually really good guest ideas coming up, Brandon, from listeners. So keep them coming. Keep them coming. If you've got topics you want us to dig into, if you've got puppies, like we started with the show, if you got, I don't know, this is a community. It's not six community. That's their own community. It's a great one, but we have an upland bird hunting community here that we love. We love hearing from you all, so please keep the ideas coming our way. You can find us on all of the social media sites. Just search The Flush, or you can even find me, which a lot of people seem to do. Travis T. Frank is my Instagram page. Uh, We'll leave it at that. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Flush Podcast.